springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine and More. Cheers! This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. From burnout and exhaustion to joy and fulfillment, through the act of serving consciously, it's time to rediscover your passion. It's live with Elizabeth and guests on the Contact Talk Radio Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop, and I'm so pleased that you're able to join us today. And as always, um, conscious service is the focus of our hour together on Serving Consciously. And this week, we're going to be zooming in on one of the key components of conscious service, which is co-creating community. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about conscious service and my programs and services, please visit servingconsciously.com and there's a bunch of information there for you. So today it's all about community, whether we look at it as a place, a location, a creation, an energy, a feeling. And I'm so thrilled to tell you a bit about our guest today, Rebecca Mears. Rebecca is an experienced professional coach, a certified counselor, Red Cross violence prevention trainer, and pioneer in nonprofit project development overseas. Her greatest love is creating and guiding the formation of community, whether the groups are small or large, and whether the group is of short or long-term duration. She has refined skills for uncovering the deep values that inspire individuals in order to achieve transformative learning and facilitate connection and bonding with others. Rebecca's years of work in education, coaching, and counseling provide her with tremendous experience in violence prevention, conflict resolution, management, curriculum development, cross-cultural communication, teaching modalities, and assessing adult and youth learning preferences and communication styles. And I can tell you, I've known Rebecca now for a couple of years, and she is a master facilitator of community. I'll be sure to um, be posting all of Rebecca's contact information on my website as well, and we will share that with you in the show too. But um, for now, welcome, Rebecca. So happy that you're here with us today. So happy to be here with you today. (laughs) So I'm wondering if you can tell us uh, and the listeners uh, a bit about your journey and how you came to be doing the work that you're doing now. Well, as everything, life is an evolution. So I began um, with an aim to be a counselor, which was more of an individual-based focus. I ended up doing work overseas ostensibly as a teacher, but really what I was doing was creating the structure of an entire school. And now that I look back on that, that was the foundation for really moving into the creation of community. And since that's the part that really spoke to me the most, even though I don't know that I had awareness around it, that that's what I was doing. Right. Yeah. That's what I continued to continue to pursue once I Um, returned back to Canada and went about figuring out how do I be here because it was quite a long stint that I was overseas and um, everything changes around you when you're pulled off in another country like that including Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) myself. 
Yeah. So it was an evolution of, um, I've always had a motivation and a desire to, um, facilitate the healing and development of individuals. I think that was what my draw to counseling was originally. Mm -hmm. Um, But after working with a community really closely as I did, well, and I have to admit, it's not even the first time that I did that because I did have a a stint as um, a pastor's wife, which I really, it's more realistic to say that I was also a pastor since I managed all of the uh, interactions between um, the congregants, all right, events for them, doing the counseling in person or in groups, and really probably community development began there. Even though mm-hmm. I really, again, had no awareness that that's what I was doing. You know, I love that you're saying that because this came up um, in another interview that I did recently as well about how you know quite often it's those things that come really naturally that are very challenging for us to articulate what it is that we're doing. Like we wouldn't, ha- we don't have the name for it at the time. And sometimes it takes many years to say, oh, this is what it is that's been inspiring me, or this is what it is that I really want to, you know, be manifesting or creating. I think that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we all kind of experience these things. And then when something happens down the road and you get a bit of a paradigm shift, um, which for me was re-entry into Canadian working life um, after having done something solo for so long, I was having trouble uh, fitting into the work life here, just the nine to five, five days a week, um, working for someone else for a larger organization or corporation. It was still nonprofit. The cause of it still reached my heart, but I wasn't fitting. And because of that ill fit, and I, I went through a few different employment situations over maybe three, four years as I tried to find where do I, where do I fit well here? Mm-hmm. Then I'm realizing I've got to do this differently. I've got to do this on my, on my own somehow. So what is it that I want to create? What is it that I want to do? Um, by then I had my coaching certification. I, I achieved that really soon after returning from Sri Lanka and by seeking out, well, what am I drawn to the nature of the things I was drawn to create was and then the searching through how do I communicate that? How do I communicate what I'm creating? Was where the oh I'm making community starts to come. <laughs> out. You know I have to say that probably a big awareness around that comes from um, one of my closest friends and colleagues, um, Luca Halex. I think she's already been a guest on your so- show as well. Yeah, um, she she's you know you get the outside perspective from other people and she likes to say that I create community Rebecca creates creates community as easily as breathing and to hear somebody else say that it's not necessarily how I was thinking of myself but it puts a little little lens or a framework somebody from the outside telling you what it is that you're doing which is what you do as a counselor and as a coach right we're often just reflecting back the things that we're witnessing in other people so absolutely yeah I've had care of that as well. So I, evidently I create community. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. I can mirror that back to you as well. <laughs> what, I, what I think I'm doing is um, bringing groups of people together because there's such delicious energy when you get people in a room together, whether they know each other or they don't know each other and they feel safe. So evidently I'm doing some base groundwork of making people feel safe or creating the environment that feels safe. And then seeing what pops up and following it almost like you would follow a butterfly that's flitting through the field because you don't know where it's going to go. 
Yes. You know it's here for a moment and it could vanish at any moment. So let's pay attention to it while it's here. So in this group of people, figuring out, listening, are there threads that are common between them? Is there a need that is cropping up either individually or as a holistic whole? Like what can I, what is there for me to learn from this group of people that I have collected together? Is there something I have to offer to this group of people? And the nature of that process ends up building community because you've got someone who's sewing them together. I guess that's yes. me. Then we all like to be sewn together. So people just kind of show up for that experience because it feels good, even if they don't necessarily know that they're looking for community. Yes. And you know what I love what you were saying there too, is there's this, you know, e- even though you are acting as the facilitator and the person who is, you know, creating the space for this community to enter into and you're, you know, you're extending the invitations and et cetera, et cetera, like the hub of it, right? You're still looking at how am I contributing and what do I have um, to learn myself? How am I receiving? So you're talking about that reciprocal nature where sometimes I think it's easy to, like if we're facilitating a process, it's easy to forget that we're part of that process <laughs> with everybody else and not just like a leader in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I really hear that and feel that when I'm in community with you as well. Yeah, I think that might, I don't know how conscious I've been of of that or that there's a difference. Maybe that's just the way I've always, I've always entered into it um, to, to, to facilitate from a position of, I've got this knowledge and you need to listen. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that would feel, I mean, I, I hear you. I think that is a default. I think that's even how we're trained to lead. That's sort of um, when groups are run or when, when learning is occurring, that's, that's a very normal, it's very patriarchal, very Western approach to contribution to a group. Yes. Um, especially if there is a differential of power, which is either aware or unaware. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do work frequently um, on on the side of, of my work as a coach. I, I work with the Red Cross as a facilitator. So I'm going into high schools a lot or into nonprofit groups or other organizations to do, facilitate some material around violence prevention. And again, in those situations, if I were to show up without an attitude of, okay, so what's the vibe for this group? I may have my set content that is needed to be delivered, but every group is going to need a slightly different focus. But if I'm not listening them to them to find out what that is, I'm going to yeah. miss it. Exactly. And I mean, it's, I mean, I think that's such an important role. I think we are becoming more and more aware of that yeah. in general, that we need to find out where people are at, not just here. I'm coming in with this and, you know, and it's really, it's the same kind of um, approach when you're working one-on-one with somebody too. Like I think about, being in service to someone, quite often we forget who is the ex- expert here, and it's the person who's you know living the life, right? <laughs> they have they have the information, and we're there to help facilitate a process. But it's, I mean, we'll get into that. I want to get into it in a little bit as well. But so there's different qualities and approaches, and I think perspectives that we bring into that dynamic that can either make it happen or get in the way of it, right? Yeah, there is. So let's step back for one sec and just get a little bit laser focused here. And I would like to hear how you define community. Oh, <laughs> right. I'm going to define it as um, 
the rubbing up of individuals, even if they don't necessarily perceive themselves as a cohesive, coherent group, where they are sharing and contributing ideas and information, they're offering care and support to other members, they're receiving care and support from other members. And I'm going to stop right there. I think that's community. Okay. Beautiful. I love so it. There's an exchange. It, there's a there's a giving and a receiving of ideas and of support. Yeah. I've never yeah. worked out my definition of community before. Thank you, Elizabeth. <laughs> You're welcome. But I think that's what, and, and I mean, those definitions can change too, right? Like they, I think when we actually start to put words to things, and this is a theme that, you know, has been here already in our first few minutes together, but that I've seen as well. And totally it came up when I was doing my research too, mm-hmm. about those soft kinds of skills and this, just the way that we, you know, how we show up to contribute quite often, um, we, we can't name it. Like it's very hard to put words to it, but I think once we do, then we start to see opportunities to refine that or expand. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really great. A great op- uh, opportunity for listeners as well to really think about how do you, how do you see community? How do you define it? Is it it could be a number of different things, right? It can be like what you were saying, Rebecca, it can be uh, a place, it can be a, a group of people, it can be an energy, a feeling, because sometimes, you know, even when things aren't going well in a community, it's still a community, even though it might not feel good, it might not have the essence yeah. of community that we'd like to have there, right? Well, communities can be forward focused, they can be backward focused, they can be positive experiences, or they can be really negative experiences. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I was a part of a religious community in my past, and it was, for a long time in my life, a positive experience. And then at a certain point, something something twisted in it, there was a misuse of power, there was misuse of influence. And I found it to be a really unhealthy, unhelpful influence in my life. And it was still community. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it doesn't always feel good, yeah. but it's still community. So we're the ones then who have to decide, you know, what, what does it mean to me and what communities do I want to be a part of? And like you were saying, some of those questions, like, what am I drawn to? How do I want to contribute? What's here for me to learn? Really powerful guiding questions. Very true. And I've witnessed as well, there, there is a very strong, I think it's a very human tendency. If we've experienced a toxic community or a really unhealthy community that, that was harmful to us, that it causes an aversion. Mm-hmm. And understandably so. When we, you know, when we experience pain, we don't want to open ourselves to a situation that would do the same thing to us again. And yet... Um, positive community is the most healing way of getting beyond the influences of a hurtful community. And you can't force that on anybody. And yet I think people stumble into it. Yes. Down the road. Absolutely. Now I want to ask you as a facilitator of community, what are some of those, I mean, we started to touch on it, I think, but what are some of those key qualities or skills that you found important in the role? Like, what have you come to learn? And I know, again, I might be asking you things that could be hard to articulate right now because it comes naturally, but what do you think they are? I'm happy to try. <laughs> um, safe space creation is absolutely paramount. And I think there's a lot more that goes into that that is 
um, not necessarily always in our awareness. Because um, I think sometimes one of the helpful things when we're trying to figure out, okay, so what are the things that we do to create safe space? Or what are the things even that we be to create safe space? Uh, it's helpful for me to bring into mind the times in which I've felt like a space was supposed to be safe, but it wasn't quite safe. So what was it that was making it not safe? Mm -hmm. um, so gathering people together into a physically safe environment where you feel like you have privacy, where you feel um, warm and, and supported in that environment. So the, that means the accessibility to that location suits your body's ability, your mental ability, the seating in it is suitable for people if they have um, um, any kind of physical issues that would make, you know, just sitting on hard chairs awkward or uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Having things available like something to drink. These things are like the very physical base things of creating physical space. But you can have all of those things and it can be an extremely unsafe environment if there is not the um, long time investment that goes into the creation of emotional safe space that's a responsibility of the facilitator. If yeah. a facilitator has not had a breadth of training and experience where they've been accountable to someone else, um, usually this would happen within, say, counseling training or it could be present in coaching training if it's a, not just a weekend program. Mm -hmm. um, there's a there's I, I really stress the investment of time there and the accountability because we need to have our blind spots pointed out to us because it's our blind spots that can make things very unsafe for the people who would be there in a group. Yes. Uh, so our blind spots would be if we have some triggers that we are not yet aware of or we are not aware of how we may sh shift our engagement with people based on being triggered, which is also very normal. Mm -hmm. um, when we work in spaces in which, you know, we have mutual woundings, even if they have been healed, there's always the possibility of being triggered. That doesn't disqualify us from being helpful, helpful or being able to create safe space or create community. But we do need to have awareness of when we need to pull back and of when we need support or what, what else we need to do in order to, have the space be held if we're not able to hold it in that moment. Um, yes. So I feel like there, there is a training that needs to go in, which the training involves the working through of our, of our baggages, of our history, of our triggers to a certain degree where we also have learned an awareness and, um, 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 I want to say an emotional detachment from um, <laughs> when somebody lets us know that the words that we're saying or the ways in which we may be um, leading in a certain moment could be done better to facilitate the people of the group. Because sometimes we'll even get real-time feedback within a group we may be leading. Oh, someone, yeah. When someone's saying, you can see it on facial expressions, you can see it in body language, you can hear it pop out through requests that may not even be fully aware from the group of what they're asking for, but what they need is more safety. And if so, then it's it's down to us. They're not going to be able to create it for themselves. Um, yes. I mean, that's part of the role that that we step into as a facilitator of the process, right? It's like part of the commitment that we're making 
Yeah. Um, not to, to take away someone's responsibility for their own emotions and stuff, but to be there as the person who's going to be aware of that. But I think you're, I mean, to me, you know, you know that I'm right in alignment with what you're saying. And that's such a huge part of when I talk about conscious service and self-connection as one of the aspects of it that just showed perfectly the example of you just showed a perfect example there of that connection between self-connection and the co-creating community. Like we need to be aware of what's going on for ourselves, Yeah, you know, and just even acknowledging that, yeah, we will be triggered. I mean, we're going into a lot of the times when you're going into service with other people and that's part of what you're, you know, um, yeah, you're, you're there to do, or you were here to do you for sure being triggered is going to be <laughs> part of that package, yeah, you know, so just yeah. creating the space within ourselves to know this is how I feel when I'm triggered. This is yeah. what happens. What can I do to kind of catch myself in that moment, transcend it, come back into the moment and then work through and do what I need to do, you know, outside of that time. Right. So that I can still be effective to my role. Absolutely. I love yeah. it. Well, I know that there's more qualities and things that we need to talk about here, but let's just take a quick little break and we'll come back and carry on on that thread. You're listening to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop. We'll be right back with my guest, Rebecca Mears. Part of your life mission to be of service to others. Making a difference in the world is a tall order. You are the resource when it comes to serving humanity. Beyond taking care of yourself, learn to create self-connection in your life. Integrate who you are with what you do find a source of inspiration and energy that surpasses your wildest imagination. Register for the Self-Connection Series at www.elizabethbishopconsulting.com Look under Programs and Services for details. Are you a helping professional looking for inspiration, resources, and community? Visit socialworkhelper.com for relevant articles and learning opportunities. Connect with other difference makers in the world. Socialworkhelper.com
And welcome back. I'm Elizabeth Bishop. You're listening to Serving Consciously. And we're just talking right now with Rebecca Mears about co-creating community and the essence of community. And we were just in the midst of the discussion around the kinds of qualities and skills that facilitators of community um, can bring to the process. And we were talking about, you know, being self-connected, being self-aware and understanding our own triggers and those times when we might, you know, disengage um, from the process and not be the helpful facilitator that we're intending to be and, and how people can, you know, learn over time and with feedback, what it means to create safe space. That's really where we started with that bit, I think there. So yeah. Yeah. Do you want to add a little bit more to that part? I feel like we dealt pretty deep within within regards to safe space. I think yeah. that's, that's good. I, there's always more to explore there, but I think the fact that it came first and that we ended up spending quite a bit of time just talking about that mm-hmm. is, is the main point, is yeah. that we may not have said everything about it, but it's of paramount importance. Absolutely. Um, so finding finding your way through that, and I think that's that's an that's an area of learning in which we're always expanding. I know my my edge of learning these days is around um, what do I need to do or what can I do in order to make sure that my my language, my structure, and my invitation are as accessible as possible for. Um, people who are marginalized mm-hmm. and ensuring that my language does not, is not inherently gendered. <laughs> right. This is my, this is my learn growing edge right now. I'm, I'm aware that I have work to do in order to make my spaces even more safe, even more inclusive, even more welcoming along those lines. Um, you know what I love too, Rebecca? I mean, there's a couple of big things right there. Like just, you know, knowing like you, you use the words edge of learning. And I think part of being effective in service in community facilitation is to always be on top of what is that edge of learning? What keeps showing up for me right now? Where am I growing? What, you know, what, what are blind yeah. spots have been presented to me? Where am I, you know, expanding here? And, um, and then into that whole idea of the language that we use and how powerful our word choices are. I mean, some people would say, well, it's just words, right? It's just language. It's just, but language has a lot of power. And and I think at least, you know, if we're talking about personal responsibility and accountability in service to try to keep our language as aligned and clean so that it's reflecting what we truly believe Yes. And feel and the energy that we want to put out there is really an important practice. It really is. It's very important. And I think maybe it's helpful to to add in a little bit of reflection there that we are accountable for our language, especially mm-hmm. when we're a facilitator. The yeah. impacts that we have through the words that we choose are real, can be far reaching, and we better think first before we and if we haven't had awareness, if we if we use rote phrases, if we use um Okay, I'm, I'm not sure where I was. I had another part to that, and I forget what it was. But it, <laughs> oh, oh, I know, in language, or, or what is the uh, in speak? The kinds oh, of I don't. I'm not remembering the right word that I want to use for that. But I think I'm communicating the idea, anyways. Um, if we have set phrases or set introductions or set responses that we just unconsciously 
we use because it's part of our habit. It's part of our pattern. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's just it's good to get reflection on that every now and then, maybe by recording ourselves for a session or asking people, what are the things I normally say? Right. <laughs> I know. Starting to recognize, okay, is that what I really want to do? Or do, are there phrases that I use frequently that are uh, self-evident to me what they mean but may not be self-evident to the people in which I'm seeking to create this safe space because in-speak can be really out, um, alienating. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's like the you know private joke stuff or the um, jargon language, right? It's ex- it excludes other people. But at the same time, we as human beings, I mean, the, the key, I think the key motivation behind that is that we're trying to be efficient and quick and communicate quickly. Yes. So I think sometimes to really be inclusive takes quite often takes more words, Yes, (laughs) you know, to be able to do that. And it takes the reading of faces in the moment. Um, I know I've been guilty at times of when I've been in the middle of facilitating a conversation, um, contributing some, some, a question or something for discussion to the group. And after I've said what it is that I wish to contribute, I can see some quizzical faces and maybe somebody was a brave soul and spoke up to say, I don't know what you mean by blah, blah, blah. They pick mm-hmm. out a phrase I've just used, which again was something I thought was self-evident, but I've just made them feel uncomfortable because they didn't, they didn't understand me and they felt less than because they didn't get what I was talking about. So rolling with it in that moment, ro- like recognizing that the quizzical faces are not about me as a facilitator, but about, I'm not understanding this and I really want to stay a part of the group. And absolutely. How can I, so then, you know, just automatically jumping in there with a rephrasing without needing somebody to ask me if I see the quizzical faces, that's a way I make it easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, cause that's a big, I mean, that's, that's language too, right? The language of our bodies and the gestures and, you know, just picking up on the energy of it, it feels as though, it feels as though my, my message didn't come across clearly. Like, I mean, we all know, you know, well, I shouldn't guess we shouldn't say we all know, but I mean, we do pick up on those cues and stuff from each other. Yeah. So I've been making some notes of some things that I think are um, elements as you've requested, aside from what I've been discussing, which is safe space. And now language, I think language came up as a, as a really important one. So conscious language, um, unconditional positive regard. Mm-hmm beautiful phrase that I first learned in counseling. So important when we're creating community. We're going to have people in our group that we may not personally like very much. Yes. Because we are humans and we are widely varied and I'm still a human and I've got likes and dislikes. But in holding the safe space for people, I need to be in a neutral space. Personally. It's, it's almost like I need to put my personal preferences on hold. Um. I'm here to, to witness, I'm here to, to support, facilitate the communication and expression of the other people in this group. Um, I am there to hold safety between them as well, um, but that doesn't have to do with my making an opinion about a person, whether they're, you know, how well they're doing or how poorly they're doing at humaning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> humaning. I love it. <laughs> um, Formulating a group agreement right at the very beginning has, has been so important, not only for the facilitation of the co-creating the safe space where individuals in the, in the group 
even if they don't self-identify as a group, but if you're in the same room together, we're now a group, um, they get to have a say as to what the safe space means. And that from, it doesn't matter if I'm working with 14-year-olds or 55-year-olds, we <laughs> all like to have input into that because our needs are different. And we may not have the same needs as other people in the room. And if we are actually invited to share what they would be, um, and they would make a big difference for us, sometimes some really interesting and, and good things come out. So yeah. a group agreement, which is, I, I usually make it as an invitation to what do you need in order to make this feel a safe place for you to share your thoughts and feel comfortable, feel relaxed. And and then we will often move it into, and what are the principles we want to stand for together? Like what what are our expectations of each other when it comes to communication, when it comes to um, even the nonverbal communication, how we, how we interact with each other with our faces, with our body language. And when that agree, group agreement comes out through discussion, um, I collect the points, whether it be on just on a paper in front of me and just continually repeating them back verbally or an actual chart. Um, that provides then the framework for this is the things, these are the things that everybody is asking me to hold for them. Yes. So as we go through then the process of whatever it is that we are might be discussing or learning or exploring together. If anybody in the group ventures into territory that has now been as the group explicitly said to be, this is not what we want, then it mm -hmm. is my duty to reign individuals or the group in. Yes. And it Which can, can be one of the most challenging and uncomfortable Parts facilitating. Not, not, not easy. <laughs> it's not easy, but it's so important. And when we do it with grace and with love, and again, from that space of unconditional positive regard, um, oh, is it so good. The, it is. Everybody feels held. They feel respected. They recognize where the boundaries are. Usually the person who is infringing past did not have an intention of doing so. Um, and a willingness even to rein ourselves in if we recognize that uh, we're going past some of the boundaries of the agreement, because that happens too. Sometimes we get yes. all excited about something and, and maybe one of our things that was in the group agreement is that everybody gets uh, equal time to speak. And if I get all excited and because I'm in a facilitator mode and I have more power and people aren't going to speak up to stop me, I just keep talking. <laughs> that totally happens. <laughs> then I'm breaking the group agreement. <laughs> so but you know what you're saying again, like Rebecca. This, I mean, every you know, every two minutes, I'm thinking, oh my god, there's so many rich things in here. I want to, <laughs> I want to highlight uh, of what you're saying that are so important. I'm just going to try to summarize a couple of things that popped up for me. Just to step back for one sec to unconditional positive regard, like to me, what you're saying there is the key to being able to transcend the judgment that naturally arises for us yeah. as human beings. I mean, that is always going to arise. I know that I've had this kind of conversation with several of my guests on, on the show. And instead of judging ourselves for judging, you know, if we have that, I mean, the unconditional positive regard not only extends to the, to the other people around us, but to ourselves, you know, and the oh, whoops, just triggered. And I got that thing coming up, you know, and okay, take a moment. It's okay. And how do I come back to what my role is here right now? And I think that's really how we can keep stepping back into genuine 
unconditional positive regard. And like you said, because we're not always going to, as human beings on that very basic level, we're not always going to like, you know, each other, but, but we can have a sense of sort of a universal love for each other and appreciation for the differences that we bring, you know? Yes. It makes a huge difference. And the group agreement part, I always think of that as sort of establishing the shared vision. Yeah. And there's something so powerful about doing that, but also this piece that you're talking about right now, like what if we go off the rails? What if any of us go off the rails? How do we want to manage that? Like, you know, if you go off the rails, how do you want me to respond to you? Or if I go off the rails, how can I extend an invitation to you if I'm not catching myself for you to tell me? Yeah. Even while we try to practice that personal responsibility for ourselves, right? You know, because yeah. that's really about how we stay in personal power for ourselves. Yeah. And then we create that space, right, for other people to step in, too. So powerful. Mm. Very, very powerful. Yeah. And um, what you were just describing um, leads right into what I think is another key element of creating or supporting the, the creation of community. Because it's one of those things that's sort of like I create the container. I feel like I create the container. I'm sure that we all do this. We create the container. I'm holding my hands out in front of me like a bowl. <laughs> and, and something happens in the bowl, but I'm not stirring it. I'm not actually putting the stuff into it. It's like I've just got to make the bowl. And i got to keep right. holding the bowl. Um, flexibility with agenda. Mm-hmm. I think really, really important. Yes, it's my job and my role to come prepared, to lead, to contribute, to um, facilitate whatever the facilitation is, whatever I've got in mind. Um, and because somebody, we, everybody will likes the feeling of of again being able to show up and and have that container held. And part of that is stating, you know, well, what's the flavor of the day. What's the topic of the day? Inviting, extending the invitation. And and you don't know what will show up in the bowl. So being ready to roll with it, sticking to the declaration that everybody has made of the shared group vision, as you said, or the group agreement, we're golden. Yeah. We're golden. And too many times, I think, as, as, as teachers, as facilitators, We've got something that we feel we must tick off by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we don't, then we, we missed our goal. Um, and yet if we listen to the community that is there, if we listen to the guiding of the moment, and we allow that to inform our agenda, we will get where we want to go faster, even if it looks like it's slower. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, and that's sometimes a real challenge depending on, you know, uh, various personalities. You know, some people are more comfortable with process than others and other people just like, this is what needs to get done. Let's get it done. I just want to get the tasks done, right? What are we here to do? And they're both really important elements. Like, I'm, you know, there's more elements than that. But if we think about process and task yeah. or outcome they're both very important and we actually need each other in order to, to get there. But I love what you're saying because it is as a facilitator, how do you sort of manage that? Because the task loses its meaning and its quality if the process is ignored. Yeah. Yeah. 
and yeah. sometimes, you know, whatever it is that I've had in mind as a task, even if it's a task that the group set for themselves for this point in time, if we show up and something is really obviously happening in the group, yeah. then that's the topic of the day. It just is. That doesn't get to get set aside for what I think is the overarching agenda. If I do that, trust is broken because what we've done is we've, we've, we have not acknowledged the natural flow and alignment and trusted the fact that if this is showing up right now for the group, then this is the work. Yes. I love it. And that is quite often very counterintuitive to, you know, what we, and depending, it depends too on what the focus of the group is in general, right? But it's quite often counterintuitive um, to what we think we're there for, Yeah. you know, and I love it. Being present and in the moment and responding to what's actually right in front of us yeah. is yeah. often a real challenge for, for us, at least in this neck of the world, eh? And trusting that by actually doing that and, and, and following that thread, while we, we've still got our, our, you know, whatever our um, intentions were for the day, our, our outcomes were for the day, those are still there. The, 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 the movement that occurs when we follow the flow that is already present, when we follow the door that is already open, um, it's, it's like it becomes the shortcut eventually to the goal we did have set as a group or as a, as a facilitator that's based on the group agreement that we had. It's like what would normally take me maybe half an hour, if there was some learning that needed to occur around a specific topic, there was some instruction that's like concrete. Um, and we had agreement. This was what we were to do today. We show up and there's something that's happening. Maybe somebody in the group is popping, meaning they've got an issue and they're, they're triggered and they need to work it through. Um, and this is the safe space. This is the community that works for them to have, to be able to do that. And the group is all in it because it, it makes sense to them. It's stuff that they're familiar with. They're feeling empowered by supporting this person through it. If I, if I, as a facilitator, hold the safe space and the group agreement around that thing, when we get to the other side of that, I may find I only need three minutes to teach the thing that I want exactly. to teach. Because, in the, because actually the trust is now so high that we can just be like, and bam, 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 and draw the whole threads because it somehow will relate. <laughs> to and it does. And, you know, you're talking about, you're talking about like natural learning opportunities. Yeah. But again, it's so, it's such a different kind of approach. You know, when you think about, tr you know, traditional sort of old school formats of facilitating learning, it was always about, you know, you have your learning objective and all your goals and the way you're going to do it and everything's night. you know, you've got a 10 page document that you've got to follow. And then we actually end up missing those opportunities for what we talked about earlier, which is the, the, la the natural informal learning and stuff that people bring. Yeah. Which is so much more like, you know, you can create all these artificial learning opportunities, right. but it's so much more powerful. Right. Yes. And especially if our overarching, overarching yet not necessarily super aware goal is the creation of community. Because honestly, when I create groups and run groups, people aren't coming because they want community. Generally speaking, they're coming because mm -hmm. they want to learn something. They want to move something in their lives or there's a goal that they have in mind and that's the thing that's in common. So we meet for that, but, but really they need community yes. and yet they're also moving towards their goal. But I almost feel like that becomes the secondary uh, aim because that was already there. That's always going to be there. You're going to get there because you're showing up. 
Um, What you wouldn't have got if you didn't show up was a community. And you know what? You're hitting on a key thing, too, that came up when Luca and I um, were doing our interview around that importance of the peer learning. Uh, you know, when you're establishing a new skill or like you said, you're trying to reach an outcome or whatever it is that you come together. And that came up in my research as well, that, you know, um, bouncing things off of each other and having each other as mirrors and having a sense of connection in a safe space where everybody's yeah. sort of, you know, again, like moving towards a shared vision in their own personal way, but together is a super powerful way for learning, especially, I, I don't know, I don't know, I was going to say especially for adults, but I think it's very powerful for, for all of us. Yeah, um, well, I think the especially as adults comes in because we we have we've grown up in a society that values independence. Mm-hmm. So we go out there adulting, you know, becoming an adult <laughs> means you do things on your own because that's what an adult is. And we do lose a natural uh, connection to the places where community occurs, especially if we move into positions of leadership or authority or if we are self-employed. Um, we don't have an automatic connection to community. If we haven't fostered it, whereas as children, we're in a school, you got community automatically. Absolutely. Even through. I love that. Yeah. Um, One more thing I want to be sure to to throw out there is in facilitating a group, especially when community is desired to thrive. Here's where we hit on the, in the independence or the, the, the role of the individual as in relation to the group is I think it's really important to support explicitly individuals um, when they say that they are feeling a gut response or they're, they're feeling a need for something for themselves, that we honor that, we create space for that, we support it, even if it means that they need to take themselves out of the group for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something really important, and it, this is about, I think, healthy community versus unhealthy or toxic community where when a community can be damaging it's when our individual access to our own instincts and our own protective barriers is subsumed because of the whole ah beautiful that's such a beautiful and important point rebecca it's so true because i think that's one of the things that can happen right like oh if i don't if i'm not there if i don't do this and now i'm affecting everybody else instead of Again, coming back to what do I need? It's safe for me to say it, and I know everyone's going to support me. Yes, yes. So in the moment, that gives people the spaciousness to be able to acknowledge that they're triggered, to be able to ask for something, that, or, or just to just state what it is that they need. Um, it doesn't mean that the group is required to provide that for that person. No. And that could be something that's a part of the group agreement. You know, we give what we have to offer, not because somebody is demanding of it. Um, But that doesn't mean that that need is not valuable and worthy of being filled. It just doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to get filled right here. Yeah, the answer isn't always going to be yes. (laughs) Exactly. It can mean yes, but not here. Or yes, go and find that. Yes, we support you. We, you know, (laughs) we have you while you go and do it. It could be something small. It could be something just supportive on the side. It doesn't mean that they're going to be out of the community. But the, the, the important thing is that we honor the individual's boundary setting for themselves. Because yeah. what is the use of a group agreement where we're creating group boundaries, but we refuse to accept individual boundaries within that? Yeah, well, it can't happen. It just can't happen because the group doesn't exist without 
all of the the individuals who are part of it, right? Yeah. It's. It, I mean, there's a. It's kind of so interesting to me. It's, it's sort of paradoxical because the group, like I said, wouldn't exist without the individuals. But at the same time, as that group is formed, it almost takes a life of its own. So it's like you're balancing both aspects of it, you know, really at the same time, the individual part, the personal part and the contribution to group and the life of the group as well. Yeah. Let's take a tiny quick break here and then we'll carry on. I want to hear um, all of the projects and things that you've got in the go, Rebecca. And I have one other question I want to ask of you too, before we're done. So you're listening to Serving Consciously. I'm Elizabeth Bishop and I'll be right back with my guest, Rebecca Mears. of the same old boring training sessions you know those ones you sit in all day and take very little from head over to elizabethbishopconsulting.com to learn more about the conscious service approach and how your organization can benefit from webinars online programs and in-person workshops. Renew your sense of connection with yourself and others in real and meaningful ways. Be inspired. Be encouraged. Be energized. Be you and love what you do. Ready for a little inspiration? How about a moment in time to reflect, reframe, and rejuvenate? Join Elizabeth Bishop for Serving Consciously, a new radio show airing on the second and fourth Friday of every month at noon Pacific. Tune in to learn about the conscious service approach and find out how you can integrate who you are with what you do in service to others. Call in and speak directly with experts in the field and find out how they've discovered the joy of serving consciously. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Serving Consciously, and Rebecca and I have been talking about the key 
qualities and skills that are part of facilitation. And there's so many excellent points in there, Rebecca. Thank you so much for that. I want to ask you how you prepare yourself for group processes and if you have any practices that you engage in after a group process is wrapped up. So good. (laughs) Thank you for asking me that question. So I do have a method of preparing myself and I must be honest that I often forget because I'm often, uh, my brain is set for the group I'm going to be facilitating and I'm often just focused on them and what I need to create for them and I sometimes forget myself. And when I do that, uh, the results of me not following my my process for myself is I'm way more exhausted afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes me longer to recuperate. So when I do follow my process, what it looks like is even just a few moments of me doing a visualization in which I protect my empathic heart. Um, I usually do some kind of a visualization where it's like I'm stepping into a bubble or I'm having something poured all over me that's like this coating. (laughs) (laughs) Depends on the mood of the day, right? (laughs) Whatever I need. Sometimes it's thick like molasses. Um, But the the point of it is for me to to put... uh, I want to even compare it to like a hazmat suit on. But I get to program it. And so when I program it, what I want is I want um, for me to be able, what's able to come through this is clarity of perception of what another person is thinking, feeling, and experiencing. I want to be able to be a solid witness to what what it is that they are present to. Mm -hmm. Um, Any questions or queries or or recognition of what is needed in the group, I want to be able to see and see all of those things clearly. What the 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 suit or the the layer is meant to protect me from is um i i have a tendency to to carry other people's emotions and sometimes not even realize it's not mine mm-hmm. so i will feel grief i will feel sadness i will feel tension and i will feel it in my muscles i'll feel it in my chest um and i and i'll think it's my own so this suit is designed to help me make the mental distinguishing of what's mine and what's not mine so that I can perceive what is somebody else's and I can help to hold space for it, but doesn't enter into me and therefore I don't carry it myself. So all the emotions that I have inside of me are my own and therefore they are my responsibility and I will witness them and manage them. And that's my own, that's my own deal. So when I also, um, I, the barrier is there to, um, I want to say it's like the the baggage that everybody brings into a group. We all have it. So again, no judgment there. Um, but again, the the empathic side of me can feel that baggage, can feel the weight of it, even if I don't know all the story. Yes. So again, to put a barrier where I'm not taking that onto my shoulders, uh, even subconsciously, but it's... I'm able to witness it and allow it to remain wherever it needs to be or to Mm -hmm. leave everybody to just leave it behind in the room and walk away and not carry any of it. That would be great too. Um, Yeah. It goes almost without saying, but maybe it shouldn't go without saying the time that I take for prep so that I have done a mental walkthrough and a visualization of, of the space and the people who will be showing up. And, and that begins 
long before the meeting itself, actually. Um, you know, I almost wonder, too, if it's not like an ongoing part of self-care once you start getting into this kind of yeah. uh, service and stuff. Because it keeps, you know, it's just sort of a way of maintaining our own our own being, right? And our own Yeah, it's really self. important. So many of us, I, I, would, I would even venture the majority of us that are in this kind of work are empaths. The yeah, oh, for sure. Help others is because we feel it ourselves and we get it. And we want yeah. it to be better for other people. And there comes, the, I, the, I don't know, man, the, the emotional hazmat suit, one of the most important things. If I don't remember to do that, um, wh- when I finish a session, I have built-in downtime. That's the way that yeah. I prepare for afterwards. So, And the downtime must be um, not just other work, because sometimes that slips in there, where it's like, well, it's not a group, so I can just do that, you know, just do some computer work. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't give me the time for recouping. So often that means an early night or a night, uh, an evening spent doing something that requires no braining at all. Yes, yeah. Definitely no emotion managing of my own or anybody else's. And time in nature. If it's been, if I've had to do... Um, especially if I've had to travel away and do a, do a two or three day session with, with a group, when I come home, I've got a day afterwards there where, or, or two where there is nothing scheduled and I take myself out into nature. I do a massive hike and I get brushed by the trees and yeah. I, you know, the birds fill me back up. It, it does something really important for me. It's almost like I can feel the battery being recharging and I know how long I, I know how much I was depleted by how long it takes for me to feel the ping of I'm done in nature. (laughs) I love that. And that's so beautiful. And I think it's so important to have both. And I think, like you said, the time, it doesn't have to be, it could be a moment or you might know I need longer than a moment, you know, in order to prepare or in order to recoup. But I think without having that space before, it's really hard to go in with clear intention and a, and a sort of a purity and an openness to be able in, to engage in all of those qualities that we were talking about earlier and facilitating. And then without having it afterwards, we can lose the opportunity for really absorbing what happened and what we received and what we learned and all of that kind of stuff, right? I mean, it, it just becomes robotic. So I think that's so, thank you so much for sharing your, your process with us. And I want to tell listeners where they can find you as we're coming into these last few minutes here. So your website is catchingfire.ca. Right. And you can find Rebecca at Coach on Fire um, on Twitter. That's right. And as well, Catching Fire Coaching on Facebook. Yes. And on LinkedIn as well, Rebecca Mears. And Rebecca and Luca, who was a, a guest um, a couple of weeks ago or a couple of shows ago, um, also do their radio show, essential conversations.com. This just sounds like essential conversations. Yeah, <laughs> it does. But you can find, I'm sure, right, Rebecca, all the links to all of those different um, things at your website, right? Catching fire. Any, any of the other social media links. Yeah. We're pretty into any platforms and I'll be posting all of that as well. When I post to the, um, link to the replay of this show on my website. But I want to give you an opportunity to, Rebecca, is there anything coming up in the next little while that you'd like people to know about? I don't have any specific events, um, but anybody who is looking to either connect to community or has some kind of group or purpose 
in mind that they would like to see happen and they need somebody they maybe their expertise is not the creation or the holding of that space i'm always interested in um what needs might be out there where there could be more community to be grown beautiful and i know that you would keep anything up and coming um on your website as well so people go there and you'll find out what rebecca's up to rebecca i want to thank you so much for being here with us today it has been a pleasure. Thank you, Elizabeth. So much fun. I was really looking forward to this and I knew we would have a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm buying a heartbeat. Yeah. And thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. You've been listening to Serving Consciously. I'm Elizabeth Bishop and I look forward to seeing you again next time. Take care. You've been listening to Serving Consciously with your host, Elizabeth Bishop. Consciously create your approach to work. Visit www.elizabethbishopconsulting.com. Join us on every second and fourth Friday at noon to continue rediscovering your passion. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Many bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine & More. Cheers! Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.